Welcome to the How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast, where we learn how to survive horror movies and maybe how to survive life. I'm your host, Ryan Stacy, and today we're getting back into it. We're going to be talking about the fourth movie in the Exorcist series, Exorcist The Beginning from 2004. This is the spot where Lucifer fell. And I'm joined by our Exorcist correspondent, Derek Kubacek. Derek, how you doing? It has been a minute. It's been a minute, I think, since I've even been on the podcast, but back to the Exorcist series. I... So admittedly, I even had a difficult time remembering what the third one was about. Brad Dorif. Yeah, Brad Dorif and, and the hospital. A lot of, I guess, a couple iconic scenes. Certainly better than the second one. The only thing I remember about the second one is something about locusts and James Earl Jones is in it, and it is boring, and it makes no sense. This one was fun, though. Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a good movie, but in the series, I think it is second so far to the first one. If I had to give it out of 10 maybe a six, maybe a five. I'll let you know in two weeks when I've had more time to mull it over. So every horror movie series, I feel like there's always the patented Ryan Stacy dark horse pick that no one else seems to like. There's, I swear, almost every horror series has one that I and maybe like one other person love and nobody else on the planet likes this movie. There's always one. Well, guess what? Exorcist Beginning is my choice this time. I am. The, this is my dark horse pick. This movie has about 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. A 10. It is universally despised. You are the only other person I know who's, like, fine with it. I really like it, but I feel like it's it's the type of movie that was made tailor-made for me. Because with Exorcist the Beginning, and, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff we're going to get into with this movie before we even start talking about the plot, because the pre-production for this movie is insane. But I, I do want to talk about why I like this movie, because I got... Last year, I did a... I wrote for my blog. Uh, Stacy's blog has got it going on. I did a ranking of the Exorcism or the Exorcist movies, and I put this one as my second favorite, which is a huge hot take. And I kind of got, you know, crucified on, <laughs> on uh, wherever I post. I can't remember. They thought I was insane. The reason I like this movie is I was raised Catholic, and I, I didn't really watch a whole lot of horror movies until I was in like eighth grade. But I, I didn't really watch a ton of supernatural ones. I mostly watched slasher movies. And, I, you know, I, I, I never believed in demons or anything like that. Um, my, my parents really didn't either. You know, that, that wasn't what I was raised with. You know, the demons weren't really a thing for me. But two of my best friends growing up, their family were big believers in demons. And so, you know, you know they, we tried to scare each other. And they always told demonic stories. And so, like, movies would come out, like the Omen remake, which came out on 666. And so this Exorcist, the beginning, is kind of what I always pictured, like, the Omen and other movies like that are like where it feels wrong to watch them. It feels like watching them is almost a blasphemy. And that is what I always pictured these movies to be like, and I've never really found a movie that really hit that for me. Exorcist the Beginning hits that. It feels wrong to watch. And that's what I was looking for with this, and it really uh, caught me by surprise. I really enjoyed it because, you know, it's got that kind of eerie feeling, you know, that I used to get whenever my friends in back in elementary and middle school told me these demon stories. They always give me the, like, the heebie-jeebies. And that's why I like this movie. Also, the fact it almost feels like an Indiana Jones movie at times. It does feel a little bit like Indiana Jones. And, I mean, I know it's not the point of this podcast, but this is kind of fun. I want to play interviewer just for a second. <laughs> so you say it's blasphemic to watch this movie. And you said you were never a big believer in the idea of demons, the concept of demons, not even being raised Catholic or any of that. So what specifically feels blasphemic? Because, uh, you know, you, you kind of touched on it. Like, it's this thing that never existed. So, but... You know, I, I didn't believe in demons. I, I believed in the devil and, and hell and stuff like that. So what those images that always went with the devil and hell were like crows pecking out eyeballs. We get that in this movie. Bugs, uh, the plagues, all that horrible stuff. That, that shows up here. And, like, a, a church and a temple you're not supposed to, you know, is buried because uh, no one's supposed to go inside of it. It's just, like, stuff that was supposed to be buried and forgotten. And all, like, the statues inside are, are carved to be like, yeah, don't go in here kind of stuff like that. You know, you're not supposed to enter this church. You're not supposed to enter this temple. You're not supposed to watch this movie. That's kind of the vibe I get off of it. That, you know, and, and it's not 
it, it's something that only really makes sense to me. Sure. Because this is what I imagined the Omen remake would be like, which was kind of the big one because it came out on 666. That was a big deal at my school. It was like, oh, my God, that movie is satanic. You can't go watch that movie. Um, and this is kind of how it feels. This movie feels almost satanic, you know, in, in that elementary, middle school, Catholic school kind of way where I'm not supposed to watch this movie. So I guess maybe there's a little bit of residual, like, fear. It's like, oh, I'm not supposed to watch this. It feels naughty to watch this. But I, that's why I like it so much. It gives me a little bit of heebie-jeebies, which I don't get too often in movies. Now, granted, the scares this movie are very generic. Uh, this is a somewhat generic movie uh, in a lot of ways. But it hits the, all those right notes for me, and, and basically me specifically. So this one, I kind of understand why I'm, like, the only one who likes it. This one makes more sense. It's really interesting. And, I mean, I'm not going to reserve the Omen series, but I just want to bring this up. I had a uh, a friend of mine... A very good friend, one of my best childhood friends, his baby teeth were a little bit more pointed, just naturally speaking. He was born on June 6th, 1993. So he turned 13 on 666. That's pretty cool. And there was a a teacher in, uh, I want to say it was eighth grade, who didn't believe me when I was trying to explain it to them. And they said, the teacher said, this is not funny to joke about. This is... I don't know if they use the word blasphemous, but I got sent to the principal's office because this teacher literally didn't believe me that I had a friend whose 13th birthday was on June 6th. Because clearly this teacher wasn't into this idea of statistics where there are plenty of people out there who turned 13 on 666, but she was a religious lady. She was maybe a few years past the prime year for retirement. (laughs) So, uh, Mrs. Wicks, if you're out there listening to this for whatever reason, I have never forgotten getting sent to the principal's office for having a friend with slightly pointed teeth who turned 13 on 666 <laughs> so that that is a true story and charles if you're listening to this i love you <laughs> so yeah like i'm not a religious person but the, this movie i think taps into some of my childhood imagination and maybe a little bit of childhood fear which is is not a very common discovery for me so that that's why i like this movie so much for so that's why you know if you go ahead and come at me i you know i don't expect other people to like this movie i can definitely see the faults but it hits those notes for me it's weird so it's like the opposite of childhood nostalgia it's childhood trauma yes but i like horror movies so this it, is good yeah <laughs> well, right so childhood trauma for you is, and, and it, trauma's it, a strong word i don't want to use trauma yeah just, yeah 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 trauma's strong but something taboo yep it, it, it's tapping into that subconscious from when i was a yeah. kid so now, let's, you know, the whole point of this podcast, just to remind everybody, because I'm going to go off on another tangent here in a moment, but the whole point of this podcast is we are trying to create a master list of rules to survive any and all horror movies, and we're going to go through the plot of this movie beat by beat, decision by decision, to see if we need to add any new rules to our list, which currently consists of 57 rules. So, spoiler alert for the extras at the beginning, uh, I, I want to talk about it a little bit more before we get into full spoilers, but, you know, that is the point of this podcast. How do you survive this movie? We're going to criticize the characters and whatnot. Exorcist at the beginning is an interesting movie. The, 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 the backstory to this movie is just bonkers, and I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. So, this is actually the most recently made Exorcist movie. The fifth movie, which is called Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist, came out, was made first. And that came out a year later, 2005. So what happened was Dominion, the fifth movie, was made first. Prequel to The Exorcist, that was going to be it, made by a guy named Paul Schrader. He made the movie, finished the movie. The studio's like, what the fuck did you make? This is terrible. No, absolutely not. We're not releasing this. So they scrapped 98% of the movie, kept a fairly similar script, changed some of it up, but fairly similar kept most of the actors, recast some of the actors, and basically made the same movie again, but scrapped 98, 99% of the footage. And that is Exorcist the Beginning, which is directed by Rennie Harlan. So they're the same movie, but like, this is like a Frankenstein's monster version of Dominion, because they kept pieces of it, they kept some of the same actors, recast others, and added subplots and took out some plots, but it takes place in the same spot, there are some scenes that are exactly the same, but filmed differently. There's a couple of shots that are exactly the same. Not too many, though. There's very few. Only a few like of the really expensive ones that they kept. There's a, uh, I believe, I think, I don't quote me on this, but there's like a, a shot of a stillborn baby. It's kind of an expensive practical effect to make, so they kept that shot in Dominion. So when we watch Dominion, Derek, you'll see that exact same shot. But it's it's basically the same movie. We have Stellan Skarsgård as the lead, and it's about a priest who has lost his faith, basically finding it again. 
it's bizarre, but it's not quite a remake. It, it's because it's different enough. It's wild. And when we watch Dominion, you're going to be like, so could you, I don't want I want to say confused, but you're just going to be baffled. It's going to feel like a bastardized deja vu. Yep. I've seen this. I'm not quite sure where or how. I mean, maybe a better example is like uh, someone who's from, you know, Gen X or the boomer generation listening to a song that was sampled by the newer artist sure. and so they hear the old song but there's this other thing yeah. that's basically just singing over the top of it so they sampled dominion and but then extra beginning came out first and it was hated it it, it it did terrible and it financially didn't do well either it was just a mess so the studio's like fuck it go ahead release dominion fine mm-hmm. and it was liked slightly more by critics still not well liked Generally, people say Dominion is the better movie. I strongly disagree. I think that movie's boring as hell. But, you know, most people say that one's better. But it's just a weird, because they were a year apart, but they're like kind of the same movie, but not really. It, it's just strange. You know, the, even though it's a shame that maybe the movies didn't turn out better overall, right? Because I, I count Exorcist as my favorite horror movie of all time. But I love the idea of a production company just saying... Ah, whatever. Just release it. What, what can you do? We have it. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well make a little bit more money off it. And I think that's why the CGI was so bad in this movie. Because, like, I like this movie, but the CGI is god-awful. I think it was like, okay, we've spent too much money on this project. Let's make it cheap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was probably the most jarring aspect. Which, I mean... Isn't too bad. You have to forgive the entire early 2000s era yep. for their experimentation with that uh, rudimentary CGI. But even for 2004, it was bad CGI. Oh, it, it, it looked rough. You have to remember, Lord of the Rings also came out in 2004. I think Return of the King in 2004. It sounds right. So the capability was there. You could do yeah. it the right way. This was not the right way. <laughs> but like knowing the whole scope of this project, I understand. And I'm a little more forgiving of that. It's like, oh, man, they spent so much money. on. They basically shot the same movie twice, basically. Yeah. And it's just so funny because we're going to see scenes like uh, the uh, the the village, uh, the World War II village scenes. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. They have those exact scenes in the movie, but they were reshot. <laughs> they look completely different because there's a different like director, cinematographer, and all that stuff. But it's the same scenes. I want. I just want to run into Stellan Skarsgård in a diner and just ask him about yeah. this movie. Of all the things he's done and been in, I mean, he's he's been in Dune recently. People know him from Thor. You know him from. He's been everywhere, yep. and his kids have been everywhere. But I want to ask him about this movie. What was that like, Mister Skarsgård? These two movies because he's in both of them. He's the lead in both. <laughs> what What was that like? <laughs> It's it's absolutely bonkers. It's one of the strangest production tales I know of. Probably more interesting than either movie. <laughs> Which is why we're spending so much time yep. on this right now. But th- that out about do you want to jump into Exodus 4? Let's, let's jump into it. All right, let's get into the plot of Exodus 4 at the beginning. Spoiler alert. The movie begins in 1,500 years ago, approximately. There is, there's been an ancient battle. Everyone's dead except one priest. And there's the uh, the idol of Pazuzu that was found in the very first Exorcist movie is in the hands of a dying priest and, you know, it disappears into the sand, yada, yada. But the point is there's been a huge battle. Everyone is dead, horrifically murdered. One priest survived. Yeah, it, it felt like uh, they were trying to symbolize, like, the crusades of some kind yeah. or some kind of crusade. Very crusade. Cut to 1949, Cairo, Egypt. We meet Father Marin, who, for those of you who don't remember, he was the the titular exorcist. He is the older priest in the original exorcist who dies doing the exorcism. He is the exorcist. And this is a prequel movie about him and how he became the way he is. And why the church went to him yep. when they had to deal with another exorcism. Yeah. Potential exorcism. Father Marin is played by Stellan Skarsgård, who I love. And oh. he's, he's great in this. I, I love Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, I guess I don't know a lot about him personally, but every time I see him in a movie, he's, it's like John Voight. I just want to watch the movie because John Voight. So he's at a bar drinking, and, and Father Marin has lost his faith. He's no longer a priest, ex-priest. Now he's an archaeologist. Indiana Jones, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just do the backstory now because it kind of comes in bits and pieces. But basically, Father Marin was a priest in the Netherlands during World War II. Nazis um, invaded, you know, they... They occupied the nation. One day, a one of the soldiers, the German soldiers, was killed. And so the commander in charge of the village wants revenge. So he pulls out a bunch of villagers and then Father Marin, who's the priest, the local priest. And he tells Father Marin, you're going to pick 10 people out and I'm going to kill them. But you're going to choose. And Father Marin refuses at first. So he shoots a little girl. And he's like, all right, 
10 more, pick them. So Father Marin picks 10 older guys, basically, and they're yep. all killed. Or, yeah, adults in general. Tried to spare the children. Yeah. Because there were only, like, 30 villagers to choose from or yep. so. But regardless, pretty dark stuff. Yes. So that incident caused Father Marin to lose his faith. Fair. <laughs> so Father Marin, uh, he, he's just an archaeologist now. Yep. He is approached by a guy named Similiar. Is his name? I really don't know if that's correct, but he's played by Ben Cross. He's uh, Spock's dad in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Oh, wow. Yep. I, I, now that you say it, I picture it. Yep. Wow. Yeah. yeah very distinctive. He's barely in the movie. Basically, Similiar is like, hey, out in Kenya, there has been a, a, a find. A Catholic church has been found there buried. That's not possible because if it's 1,500 years old, yeah, the Catholic Church hadn't made it out there yet. That's impossible. And Samilia's like, I don't know what to tell you. There's one there. And it, so at this point in time, uh, Kenya was uh, British territory. So the British found it. They want Marin to come out to the dig because he's an archaeologist. And there's specifically an idol of the demon Pazuzu inside of this church that Samilia is interested in. Um, so that's what he wants from Father Marin. So Father Marin's going to go out on this archaeological dig and find this thing. I wonder how they knew that. How did he know that? Because, I mean, the, it, the the church hadn't even been exhumed yet. Well, Samelia, I think, is actually working for the church. I think the implication is he's actually uh, an agent of the Vatican, and he's part of this whole plan to get Father Marin's faith back. <laughs> that, yeah. Or maybe, we're going to find out later from another priest that the church knows that yep. this place exists. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's been found now, like found, found. Very Nicolas Cage National Treasure. You know, uh, Charlotte has been found. Yes. So the ball has been, is rolling. Yeah. Father Marin agrees to go out there. Going with him is another priest. Uh, well, not another priest because Father Marin's not a priest. Uh, I even don't keep calling him Father Marin. <laughs> I mean, that's that's who we know him that's, as in, the, in, the, him in as. the franchise. But he is being joined by Father Francis, a young priest uh, who's been... You know, he's going to lie about why he's really there. He's just like, oh, yeah, the, the church is interested. But really, he's there because the church knows about this place. And- <laughs> he's there because he's interested. But, like, he's more interested than the interest that he was initially displaying. Because uh, this place is going to turn out to have, like, a super dark history. Fun fact, it's where that battle at the beginning took place. Yeah. <laughs> There's Spoilers. a reason they show that where so many people died. So they're going to go out there, and it's middle of nowhere, Kenya, by a small village. So we're going to get to introduce some characters. Their, their guide is a guy named Chuma, who I don't know if he's from this village or just from, like, the area, but he is the translator. Yes. He speaks good English, so uh, he's been hired by the British to be a translator, I guess. Yep. So he's kind of the guide. He's always, like, around. He's in almost every scene, just, like, there. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he helps drive the narrative forward. Yeah. Like, if you need a message passed from one of these main characters to another, it's always Chuma with the information. Just yeah. shows up. Quick, you have to come quickly. Well, you have to come quickly. So this has happened. Oh, they found him. Or, oh, this, oh, this, oh, this. So Chuma was the messenger. <laughs> they go past a graveyard. Basically, 50 years ago, everyone in this valley area died from the plague, allegedly. Big allegedly on this one. Allegedly. And later on... You know, they're going to tell him everyone died. And Father Marion's going to be like, well, if everyone died, who buried them? No survivors. <laughs> Where do the stories come from, I wonder? <laughs> so they arrive at the village, and we meet our, our chief excavator, a guy named Jeffries, who's from one of your favorite movies. Alan Ford. He played, uh, what's his name from? He's Bricktop and Snatch, the main bad guy in Snatch. And he's he's great. He's just nasty. You want to now get rid of a dead boy? Yeah. You feed them to the pigs. A pig can consume two pounds of flesh a minute. That makes it 13 minutes before an entire grown man can be consumed by 12 pigs. Uh, so Jeffries, he's the chief excavator. This guy is nasty. He, you know, very na- Like, literally, he's got boils all over his face. I, I feel like it was Bricktop who got, like, sent to Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, very similar characters. Very nasty personalities. It, yeah. Not not good guys. But, yes, Jeffrey just kind of sucks. But, you know, you're yeah. not supposed to like him. And then Dr. Sarah Novak, who is played by Isabella Skorupoko. I can't really pronounce that either. But she is a Bond girl. She was the main Bond girl in GoldenEye. Star-studded affair here. Absolutely. I love GoldenEye, so it's great to see her here. Uh, I love Sean Bean. But yeah, so she's the doctor in town, and she's working for the, the dig as well. So it turns out none of the villagers are willing to enter the church because of evil spirits. 
Okay, whatever. I mean, okay, whatever. You're right. You're, I mean, that turns out to be right, but, like, whatever. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, if no one ever entered a place that allegedly had evil spirits, you know, where would we be? <laughs> that Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And so, with all Supernatural movies, I'm gonna, I, want, I want to start at the baseline place. No one can prove any of this stuff, so therefore, you know, I don't fault any of the characters for being skeptical in the beginning, because it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, that bullshit. It, it's it's so much harder to establish a true beginning of rule number one. Yes. You know, in a slasher movie, whether it's supernatural or not, uh, you can figure it out pretty quickly that it's a horror movie. Right. But... One of the beautiful things about the Exorcist franchise, or at least certainly the first one, is it's kind of like an atheist guide to <laughs> possession yep. because everything gets ruled out first. And then they're like, maybe it's exorcism. We don't know. Placebo. It's not to that extent here. No, absolutely not. And that's where I, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love the first one so much is that it's kind of like an exploration of the modern medical technology up against something that it can explain. This one, it definitely has hints because Father Marin, or I guess Mr. Marin, yeah. is, has lost his face. So he has to go through those steps, but it's more overt. Sure. Like it, to the audience, to, to our eye, our omnipotence, it's clearly supernatural. But, you know, to when Mr. These, Marin. When do these characters know? That's yes. the big question. And, I, you know, I, to cross that line into this is a supernatural horror movie, it's always a harder line for me to cross. Absolutely. Big, thicker line. Especially because he's here for work. It's yeah. not like he's out on Sunday vacation. No, no. You know, like, he's being paid to be here to do his job. Rule number three, do your damn job. Yes. We are also introduced to a man named Amekwe, who is a Christian missionary. He owns a hotel here. And he's got two sons, James and Joseph. From uh, the Bible, you know. Oh, Yes. Uh, and they're, you know, little little kids. Yep, just little kids. So Jeffrey's Marin and, and Francis, are, uh, they all go up to the church. The dig is going on. Basically, it's an amazing shape. So Father Marin's like, this is weird. Like, did they bury it immediately after they built it? Yes. Yeah, yes, they did. It is in weird shape, but yes, that's exactly what happened. And while they're, while they're here, one of the diggers has a seizure. Probably nothing. Yeah, heat, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, heat something to- or other. You know, is there a logical conclusion that is ahead of supernatural bullshit. Yes. Almost always. Almost always. And so that's the line we had to find. When is that, yep. like, no longer, there's no other reasonable, rational, logical explanation. That's the line we have to cross. Jeffries finds this St. Joseph's necklace somewhere, and he gives it to Sarah. He's got a big crush on Sarah. He's a real creep about it. And uh, so Sarah's backstory is she is, uh, at the doctor out here, she has lost her faith as well because she, her parents were harboring um, uh, Jewish people during the Holocaust. During the Holocaust. They got found out. They got sent to the concentration camps along with the, the Jewish people. So she's not Jewish, which is important, but she's lost her faith completely because of what she went through. Mm-hmm. So Jeffries finds this necklace and puts it around her neck. Uh, Chuma, Francis, and Marin, they all go down into the church, uh, which is buried underground still. They have to climb through the roof. What's interesting is, and this is something I really like, Francis mentions that normally in a church, all of the, the sculptures, the statues and stuff, they're all exalting God. They're, you know, they're pointing upwards in uh, exuberance. Uh, that's the celebration of God. All of their swords are pointing down. All the imagery is very downward, hellish even. It feels wrong to be here. <laughs> and that's, there's a reason why all of this is downwards. Because this church might be hiding something horrible underneath. Basically, what we're going to find out is this is where Lucifer fell. Uh, when God cast Lucifer out of heaven, this is the spot. Like, literally, the spot. Yes. Pinpointed. Yeah. So that's, Google maps it. Google maps it. This is the spot. So that's what's going on here. And so when the Crusaders found it, they they found a they, this temple where they did human sacrifice. They built a church on top of it, buried it. Forget about it forever. <laughs> hey, but you know what, though? Uh, I want to take and acknowledge these crusaders for listening to the very advice we've been giving about this podcast for supernatural enemies for a long time. If you bury Michael Myers, that is the next generation's problem. It lasted 1,500 years. To be fair, though, all those people did die. <laughs> all, they, all, they all died, but I mean, somebody Someone. somebody sent them to do that. Yep. And presumably some of those people survived. So, like, ancient humanity, they solved this problem as best they could. Pushed off on the yeah, next people. Yeah, good good job. You just buried it. They swept it under a literal, like, dune rug. <laughs> and we're just going to forget about yep. it. Yep. <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> 
And there's also, you know, Jesus. There's the statue of Jesus on the cross. But someone somehow is taking it and hung it from the ceiling with a chain. And so Jesus is upside down. Yeah, they, they basically snapped like an eight by eight wooden beam. And then they hung it by a chain from the ceiling so that it is now the symbol of the Antichrist. Yes. Someone was possessed who did this. That's, yes. That, that is the answer because uh, they don't really ever explain it. But that's what happened because somebody at this – basically this, this, this movie is kind of a mystery. Yeah. Who done it? S- somebody here is possessed by the demon Pazuzu. They, they they kind of give you an obvious answer, but it, it, it's a little sloppily done. But it's it's not the person we all think it is. So we'll get to that though. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Who who is possessed? That's that's a big murder mystery. Yeah. We got we got demon clue. There was a previous archaeologist here before Father Marin showed up. It was a guy named Besson, and Besson went mad. He went. He lost his mind, and he has been taken to a sanitarium back in Nairobi, which is the I believe the capital of Kenya, the big city in Kenya. Mm-hmm. He's got a bunch of like crazy pictures, you know, and he just, he lost it. Completely nuts. Very Indiana Jones again, by the way, with, uh, uh, what, what was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? The oh, like, um, Henry Jones Jr. Ox, ox, ox. All right. We're going to reveal it now. Cause that don't make sense. All right. So there's the little boy we met earlier. Joseph is the one who's implied to be possessed like the entire movie. That's mm-hmm. what we're led to believe. It's not him. It is Sarah. The, uh, the doctor. The love interest of this movie. She is the one who is possessed this whole time because she was actually married to Besson and went in with him. So he went mad. She got possessed by Pazuzu. So all the horrible things that are going to happen in this movie, her. Yeah, she got possessed and he was therefore touched by the devil and that's why he went mad. Yes. Yes. Yep. And so watching this in hindsight, there's a lot of clues. <laughs> very, very Catholic clues. <laughs> <laughs> Which cracked me up. So we have a scene where she's just like messing around with tarot cards. Yep. Yeah, it's like, oh, she's messing with the occult. And I and I even said that out loud. I'm like, oh, are we just doing tarot readings now, I guess? Like, cool. <laughs> you know, I've held tarot cards in my hand. Oh, it doesn't it, mean, you know. No, it's it, one... Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. But I was just like, that's very, like, not out of pocket, but, like, out of place. Like, why yep. is this here? It doesn't do anything. So, like, anybody who's uh, very Catholic watching this movie would be like, oh. But, like, anybody there's some, else. There's something about that doctor. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else wouldn't think anything of it. But, yeah, it's like, oh, yep, that's the clue. So, rule 24, trust no one. Everybody's a suspect. Well, absolutely. Everybody's a suspect. Everybody's a suspect. Anyone could be possessed. And it turns out like a dozen of the diggers have vanished ever since this has been discovered and no one knows what happened. They run away. Did they die? Maybe they just left because they were scared of the evil spirit stories. Mm, If that's the case, good on them. If not, then I guess I don't blame them. And we never find out. We never find out. They're probably dead. All loose ends here. (laughs) So the little boys, James and Joseph, they're out at the well. James, the older brother, is attacked by hyenas. Really bad-looking hyenas. Definitely not CGI. You know, this scene is great on paper, less so in execution. <laughs> so all these hyenas, they all attack, and they, they rip James to pieces. And a monkey. Did the monkey get killed? Yeah, I think oh. the monkey got killed first by the hyenas. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. But Joseph freezes up, stands there the whole time. I'm assuming this was a, a influence from Pazuzu that just kind of froze him in place. Maybe. But that brings me back to a rule you and I came up with. Rule number 47, fuck destiny. Yeah, that's the one I thought you were going to bring up. So it's a little hard with this movie to throw out a ton of criticism because obvious there's uh, the devil's influences here. Yeah, the literal devil. Literal devil is influencing people. So, you know, everything we say, there's that caveat how much influence is there being exerted over these characters. Well... We're going to have to ignore that for the most part. In a survival situation, you need to be able to try and fight or do something. We need to assume that you can do something because if not, you're dead anyway. Yeah. So we need to be able to say, fuck destiny. And this falls under that category. Do something, period. If you can't, you can't and you're dead. But always assume you can do something. We're always going to assume these characters can do something. That might not be the case, but we have to go in with that assumption. And we do grade children differently than we grade adults. Yes, that's also true. But uh, Joseph, rule 10, don't panic. No, it could just be that he throws up because his brother's getting torn to pieces. Yep, by hyenas. Don't do that. Run away. Run. (laughs) Run, bitch, run. Run, bitch, run! And that is rule number 28. Yeah, James James is dead. Yeah. Nothing that kid could do. Yeah, even even if he could have done something. Like, you know, run away is, I think, his best bet because taking on five hyenas and he's a five-year-old six-year-old kid yeah that's not happening but he got knocked over in a jump scare yep 
never got up again because yeah. there was five hyenas eating him and ripping him to pieces. So sure, yeah, and you're talking about uh, uh, James right now. Yep, James. Yeah, because I mean, even for Joseph, like you know, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, it's lucky the hyenas weren't going after Joseph because yes. they had been, he'd be dead. The only reason they weren't is because Azusu needed a scapegoat. Yes, yeah, he's uh, putting all the blame onto Joseph. Misdirection. Misdirection. He's you know he's the liar. Yes. It's a big theme in the movie, is lying. So Chuma and Father Marin, they go off to the sanitarium to go see Bession. And Father Marin goes into the cell. It opens magically. Very Exorcist 3 feeling, by the way, in the <laughs> yep. sanitarium. It felt like uh, James Dora, or Brad Dorif and the original guy, even. Oh, yeah, yeah, Father Karras. Yeah, Father Karras. Anyway. And Bession, you know, he's very, very nuts. Uh-huh. He knows Father Marin's name, though. Along with what the Nazi soldiers said to him in... World War II. Yeah. yeah. Father Marin, you might be in a horror movie. I feel like this is definitively where you can say something is up. Yep. And Father Marin continues to reject it for a long time after mm-hmm. this. And that's not great. You gotta know you're in a horror movie. If this random dude you've never met knows who you are and there's like possible possession weird crap involved, it's something to look into. Maybe don't go back to it. The, the the dig site. So I don't want to give him too much of a pass, sure. but let's let's go a little bit further. So when this guy turned around, he had a Nazi symbol carved into yep. his chest cavity, into his you know, chest. before basically ending his own life. Yeah, he cuts his throat. Yep, and that's after saying the words to Father Marin. So there is the ever so slightest possibility that he was in that town square with Father Marin as one of like the no name soldiers <laughs> just standing by and watching, and he's always remembered him, and that's why he could feed it back to him. So there is a sliver of a chance yep. that this makes sense, but it's all starting to add up in a very it, the the timing is very precarious. Yep. So slight pass, but at this point, I'm almost thinking like, okay, yeah do your damn job, but don't die in the process. Yep. And maybe he should not go back. Yeah. Maybe you just walk away from the movie. Yeah. But I understand that he, he's kind of like a, a duty compels him. He sure. feels a calling to this job. It's not necessarily about survival for him. Yep. So, you know, it's hard for us to grade him like that. Yeah. He's kind of very much like a Dr. Loomis type. Yeah. It's very much like, uh, the, 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 the priest in, um, the exorcist part two, where yep. I couldn't save this person. So I want to save the next person. Sure. He could not save the girl who got shot in that town square, so he wants to save this village. Yeah. He, he wants to save Joseph. He wants to save people. Yes. That's that's his character. That's you know? his character. As cynical as he is, he does want to save people. So the character motivations make sense, but yep. you are in a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe don't go back to the village at this point. The priest who's running the facility, who is Filch from uh, Harry Potter. Argus Filch. And who's he in Game of Thrones? Uh, he is Walder Frey in Game of Thrones. Walder Frey. I'm embarrassed that I couldn't remember that. He, he's only got two scenes. He's not important. Basically, he's like, hey, Marin, yeah, you're always a priest, bud. Anyway, here's an exorcism book. You're going to need that. Uh, good luck. That guy has not aged in 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> he, he looks the same in this movie. <laughs> so Sarah finds Jeffries in her room. And if she wasn't Satan, she'd be in a horror movie right now because that dude's being a creep. Yeah, he's, like, in the bed next to her, like, you dropped this necklace outside. You don't like this necklace. It's it's a religious necklace. It probably got, you know, Pazuzu just pushed it away. It's like another clue. A- absolutely. It's one of the things that when it, the big reveal happened at the end, I was like, oh, that's why she didn't like the necklace. Luckily, Joseph comes in, and he, he's been in a, like, kind of a coma ever since his brother got attacked, and, you know, they're in the infirmary. And so Jeffries just ends up leaving. But, yeah, that dude is not right. Mm-hmm. Uh... Don't be a menace. Rule number four. I was trying to figure out what the symbolism was with his face getting grosser and grosser as the movie went on. Just one of the plagues, I think. Yeah. One of the ten plagues. Because, I mean, when you first see him, like, his face looks a little rough. You know, not bad, bad, but, like, you know, there's not something right. But then by the time it gets to this scene, like, his teeth are blackened yeah. and, like, there's pus all over. And it's, yeah, it's it's a pretty rough looking. Yeah, he's gross. Yeah, we see a few of the, the big uh, plagues of Egypt come in and out mm-hmm. of the movie. You know, uh, water turns to blood. Uh, locusts and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. just another one of those. So, Chuma and Father Marin get back. And Father Marin, he goes to check in on Joseph, and he and uh, Sarah end up kissing. Dude, you just kissed a demon. <laughs> well, you know, whoopsies. But yeah, Joseph's bed starts moving, and like there's blood in the ivy. Oh boy, you might be in a horror movie. Classic exorcist stuff. Yep. Father Marin decides to go to the church at night alone. 
I don't know if this is wait for backup. Yeah, rule twelve wait for backup. Play stupid games, win stupid yep. prizes. Yeah, you know, I just I want to be more specific than that. But I, he's going down this rope ladder, and I'm like, dude, bro, why? Like, why? Why does this need to be right now? You can't see anything. So the one thing I will say, you know, to his credit, he does follow rule number fifty one: tell people where you're going. Unfortunately, the person he told was the possessed person, Sarah. <laughs> but yeah, no, you, you, go in the daylight, go with someone else, anything would be better than this, and he's going to be fine, but like, this is not great. And he, this is when he discovers the, the cave uh, beneath the church leading down to a temple where they used to do human sacrifice. There's a statue of Pazuzu here, and there's a hole in the statue where the idol of Pazuzu would go, like the thing from the first movie that he's been sent here to find. So someone took that. Who's got it? It is gone. Meanwhile, the village, the villagers, the, the village's chief, his wife is having a baby. She's in labor. They have a big, like, ritual celebration about it. But the baby is stillborn and covered in maggots. So for the villagers, this is a sign of bad things. They're not happy about it. And they're like, oh, all these white people need to get the fuck out of our village. That's kind of what it ends up being. It was basically you're messing with these supernatural forces that you don't understand and you're bringing badness to the people and to people who don't deserve it yep and in fairness a hundred percent correct is the british army found this place yes they weren't doing anything they just happened to live here yes that's that sucks <laughs> it's like i don't know bro i just work here it's, it's the same thing except on a much more grandiose scale you know that that's that sucks but they are aware they're in a horror movie and they're just, like, pissed that, like, people are digging up the horror movie. Just stop it. It was buried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, this village should move. Like, that sucks, but, you know, time to rule 11, get out. Get out! Let's take this village and push it somewhere else. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Jeffries ends up breaking into the bar in the middle of the night to get some more booze, and he gets attacked by something at night. It's Pazuzu, Sarah, but we don't know that till later. But rule number four, don't be a menace. You know, if you were, you know, he probably would have been dead no matter what, but he was breaking into a bar by himself alone. If he hadn't been doing those things, he wouldn't have gotten killed. Maybe he could have, maybe he still would have gotten killed, but, you know, this is one way to try and avoid it. I don't know what else to say about this guy, because, I mean, you know, again, fuck Destiny, right? Yep. So, assuming that fuck Destiny is, like, this, you know, overarching umbrella over all the characters and people in this movie, I'm assuming that he was a dirtbag kind of of his own free will. Yeah. Um, but he's also over this, like, unholy land and has been exposed to it for some time, possibly, you know, even been touched by the devil, you know, just even brushing up against Sarah, Dr. Sarah in this movie is implied to have consequences. So I don't know how much of this is his fault and how much of it isn't. But like I said, we have to assume fuck destiny. So don't be a menace. It doesn't cost anything to be nice, yep. to be a good person of which he had very little kindness or respect to show basically anyone. I mean, he was trying to like throw glass bottles at kids yep. earlier yep. in the movie. So it, it all kind of added up and it's like, you know, this doesn't seem like the kind of person that Satan would kill. Yeah, let him live and keep doing things. But, um, <laughs> but I mean... Here we are. You know, I guess uh, it was time. Yep. And I guess this guy dies to uh, stir up tensions more between um, the, the British and the uh, villagers because the British all are going to assume Jeffries got killed by the villagers. Yeah, is this like Archduke Ferdinand kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, someone is trying to stir up a war here. Yes. Literally. So Sarah, she's got a whole big scene where, where she discovers like blood like, coming out of her vagina, like, excessive amount. And she's like, yeah, I don't... I can't do that anymore after what the Nazis did to me. Horrific implications, but basically she's like, yeah, that's not possible. And she tries to tell Father Marin this. And so I think this is a moment where the real Sarah is, like, breaking free of the possession. It's one of those things where Pazuzu... At least we've seen in movies past, can lay dormant yep. for basically as long as he or they want and whatever. So we don't know... If Sarah is even aware, or if Pazuzu sure. is piloting the whole time, and I don't, I don't think that Pazuzu is. I don't um, think so either. And that's something that's been pretty consistent across all of these movies. So us as the audience, we can infer that. I'm just going to assume that like Sarah is as she says she is for most of the movie. Father Marin's very dismissive of this, dude. You are in a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, like start looking for explanations in non-conventional places. Yes. So, word gets out, Jeffries is missing, there's a bunch of blood in the bar. Um, some hair, some teeth, it's, it's, it's pretty messed up. 
So Father Francis is getting a little worried. So he calls because the British they have their own outposts, not really by here. Yeah. Um, they have a couple soldiers here, not too many, but they bring in a whole bunch. He calls a uh, Major Granville in, who we, we met very briefly earlier, and he's just British soldier. Oh, for uh, His Majesty's whatever. Yeah, if this movie is evil clue, then this guy is Colonel Mustard. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, very Colonel Mustard. <laughs> and so he brings in a whole bunch of soldiers. You know. If there is about to be a war and the villagers won't want you out of their town, but you don't want to leave, well, you know, maybe call them back up. It makes enough sense. I, I still think in an ideal world, you just, like, bury this place yeah. and, you know, leave it for the next person. Unfortunately, like, you know, Sarah's already possessed and out, but sometimes the simple start with the simplest solution and deal with other problems as they come up. Bury this and leave. Yeah, bur- bury it and leave. Yep. <laughs> I propose we stack the bodies in the cellar, lock it, leave quietly one at a time. Pretend that none of this ever happened. It's from Clue. That's how Wadsworth the butler says that in Clue. That's exactly the move. Sometimes you just need to, to, to lock the bodies in a cellar and uh, leave and pretend none of it happened. Sometimes that's what you just need to do. Walk away. Get out. Um, and that's what everyone should really do. Everyone. The villagers will be like, nope, okay, we're done. Moving on to somewhere else. But anyway, Major Granville and the, the army comes in. The British uh, forces come in. Father Marin is like... Something happened here. So he goes and asks the villagers who are there. They're at the funeral for the stillborn baby. They're going to cremate the body. And he's asking them, like, hey, what, what's the deal with that plague situation? What happened? Basically, all they say is they need to leave because whatever's happened, whatever happened then is happening again. And Mayor notices they're cremating the body. Well, then why are there 50 buried bodies out by the road? Like, if you always cremate them, what was buried? Who buried? What is going on? Fair. Fair question. Absolutely fair. So he's going to go to the graveyard and just start digging. Digging up, uh, oh, dig it. <laughs> digging out, uh, uh. I like digging holes. <laughs> I like digging holes. <laughs> Speaking of John Voight. <laughs> the villagers believe Joseph is possessed, and they need to kill him, basically. They, they need to do an exorcist to try and, an exorcism to try and save him, and maybe kill him if, if need be. So his father, Amekwe, and the villagers come in to do the exorcism and maybe kill him if necessary. Uh, it is kind of cool because uh, we get to see an exorcism that is from a different culture, yeah. Which is something cool. I like. Yeah, and the, specifically they they employed the use of leeches, and yep. it felt very Game of Thrones to me. <laughs> uh, so now that we've referenced Game of Thrones, we got Walder Frey, and we have uh, extraction of blood via leech in some sort of like ritualistic manner. So it was it was interesting. So they stop Francis and Sarah from interfering, and, and they're trying to perform this exorcism and maybe kill Joseph. But uh, something breaks the bones of the people who are the villagers here. <laughs> just just snaps some bones. It's pretty gruesome. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Francis, you're in a horror movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone here now should know they're in a horror movie. Um, except for the British soldiers who are in a war movie. Yeah, which is a different kind of horror movie. Like, yeah. that, that, that is almost the most realistic horror movie that has ever happened in the history of humanity. And this is where we get the big flashback that reveals everything with Father Marin's backstory. But basically, he ends up digging up three graves. All three are empty. Nothing is buried there. So he confronts Father Francis. What is going on? Okay, so this was where Lucifer fell. There was the you know big crusade, 1,500 people here. One priest escaped. They, they built a church and buried it and striked everything from the record. Except one letter. One letter. Dang it. Do your damn job. Who who screwed this up? Come on. So 50 years prior, a group of four priests were sent out here. Um, they, they got a bunch of villagers to go help, and they all vanished. No one knows. No one has any idea what happened to those people. They're dead and buried in the sand. They're gone. They're gone. Same thing happened. But basically, the, the Vatican found out about this, covered it up, told everyone there was a plague there. So, yeah, no big deal. Covered it up, down. Nobody go there ever again. Like, actually burn the letter this time. Actually burn the letter. Everyone forget about it. But some British dumbass fucked up. One of the soldiers, probably. And found it. (sighs) Confounded written language? We need not a written history. Everything should be oral history exclusively. Be like the Vikings. (laughs) Jeffrey's bodies is found up at the church by the British. Father Marin is there. And uh, Francis and uh, uh, Chuma. And, yeah, they find Jeffrey's body in the church, and it is gruesome. Mm-hmm. I love it. This is some gnarly gore. You can see his spine. So, yeah, the way that he was strung up, this is probably, like, the second 
I don't want to say like coolest, but the second most graphic, like strung up body that I can remember with the first one being Midsummer with uh, the, oh, uh, Blood Eagle guy. Yeah, Blood Eagle guy. Yeah. yeah, that one's pretty gnarly too. So Major Granville is pissed, possibly possessed, kind of nuts. He thinks that the villagers did this, so he just walks up to one of them and shoots him point blank in the head. Yeah, don't be a menace. Yep. I, I mean, this goes way beyond that, but like, don't be a menace. Shooting people point blank in the head who didn't do anything, that's not generally a good thing to do. He ends up going completely insane and shoots himself. Yeah, something, something, butterflies, cocoon, metamorphosis. Yep. There's symbolism here, kind of, somewhat, but... It's hard to say what he did wrong, because he, he was clearly nuts. Yeah, he so, had been touched by the devil. Yeah, he went to, he got touched. And so all we can say is, again, fuck Destiny. Don't start miniature civil wars. Um, basically, the villagers, they're all going to, they're planning to go kill Joseph because they think he's possessed. And she was like, Father Marin, you need to get out of here. Like, it's time. Just go. So Father Marin and Father Francis, they come up with a plan. They're going to leave. They're going to they're gonna get to Sarah. And they're going to get out of here. And they're going to take Joseph with into Nairobi and get him help there. This is a great plan. I like this plan. Sandstorm rolls in because uh, Satan's trying to stop them from leaving. He's like, oh, that is a really good plan. Let's put a stop to that. So, you know, they are finally about to get out, but, like, there's a good reason why they can't because you don't fuck with sandstorms. No, 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 no. So everyone's stuck here. <laughs> Bounds are aching, Annie. Storm's coming. You better get home quick. And in this case, home is the haunted, possessed, abandoned church on the outskirts of the encampment. So if we can't, we can't escape the horror movie anymore. We yep. have to fight the horror movie now, as you yes, put it. Yes, absolutely. We have, we have to fight. We yep. have to defeat the horror movie. Yep. So Father Francis takes Joseph up to the church. He's going to do the exorcism. And uh, Father Marin stares behind to find Sarah. Well, meanwhile, war is breaking down. <laughs> yeah. And all the villagers, the British are killing each other, and they, they start killing their own people too. Like, right, like it's it's chaos. Yeah, they they all they're killing their own people. British on British, uh, villager on villager. Clearly, devil's influence. Fuck destiny. Fuck destiny, and don't do this. Yep. <laughs> don't be a menace. I, yep. I mean, it it yeah, it's yep. hard to grade. But we're repeating history here, just yes. like in the 1500s, and and even 50 years ago with the four priests who went to, went went missing. I'm assuming something similar happened oh, on a smaller boy. scale. Father Marin, he finds, he finds, goes into Sarah's room. Oh my God. There's horrific symbols, bugs, blood, tarot cards, all of this shit everywhere. Oh, and I'd forgotten to mention earlier that St. Joseph's necklace that uh, Jeffries put on her was found at the crime scene where Jeffries' body might have been. So that's another clue. Yep, yep. But you know, here's the big reveal. Oh my God. Sarah's possessed. It's not Joseph. Holy shit. And so Father Marin and Chuma, they're going to try and get up to the church and help Francis out. On the way, one of the villagers attacks them. Chuma shoots the villager as the villager throws a spear and hits Chuma. And they're both dead. Fuck. <sighs> he took the shot. Like, Chuma had a gun and he, 22, take the shot. It just bad luck. The spear hit him. Like, I mean, if you really want to drill down into it, he got in front of Father Marin. Did he? You know, he, he kind of, like, pushed him to the side, like, sure. you know, like, I will handle this, I have the gun, so, like, you can call that, like, don't be a good Samaritan. Yeah, rule 30, or, don't be a good Samaritan. You know, uh, Zombieland, it would be don't be a hero. Yep. But it it's an unfortunate situation, because, again, these people are just killing everything in yep. sight. The the point is pure anarchy. Yes. So, feel bad for Chuma, he's a pretty likable guy, he's just here to, you know, help. You know what this felt like? A, a more poorly done version of the church scene from Kingsmen. Because, like, there's only yep. going to be one left alive at the end, and there was one priest left alive 1,500 years ago. So, like, the point is to find a winner. Find a winner. That's the ultimate showdown of ultimate <laughs> destiny. <laughs> Where's Mr. Rogers? Sarah Pazuzu, uh, Sarah being possessed by Pazuzu, is up at the church, kills Francis. And, you know, he saw someone coming up, and he turns around, and it's Sarah, and then he's dead. He didn't know she was possessed. Trust no one. Yeah, constant vigilance. But even if he had, I don't think he could have lived on that one. Yeah, I mean, he had holy water, but yeah. like, are you gonna be like, eh? You know, there's 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 an idea. Just like start casting holy water on everybody yeah. that you see all the time. That's a good idea. So, you know? okay, that's a really good idea. All right, so strategy: if you are in a who done it, that is a demon possessed who done it. Holy water on everybody. Yeah, like if your suspicions are, um, I, you know what? I'll even go so far as to say like any Christian derivative, because like who knows who's right here, yes, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so like. Holy water might be a weapon. I'm not saying that you're going to be carrying that around in your pocket, but... Any vampire movie. 
Any any vampire movie, you know, most of them, you know, just start casting holy water on everybody that you, uh, no, everybody. Uh, even find a sneaky way to do it, like you know, just like back of their neck or something when they're not looking. And if they're like, "Ooh, that's cold," you're like, "Okay, they're fine." But if they're like, "Ah, maybe yeah. a demon." Okay, so uh, a new piece of advice. You know, this falls under Rule 5, Lock and Load. If you find yourself in a supernatural horror movie situation that probably has either vampiric or religious elements of some kind, get some holy water and just start spraying it. Yep. Uh, Holy water for everyone. Yes. Might as well. (laughs) You get some holy water. You get some holy water. You all get holy water. You know, it's kind of like the... Have you seen The Thing? No. It's it's kind of like the most famous... Who, no. who is a thing? It's like the most famous scene from The Thing, but we'll do it with holy water instead yes. of a, uh, a hot needle or yes. whatever it was. I just feel like everyone needs to watch the, the show Supernatural as well to give them other strategies, but holy water is a great place to start, um, especially if this evil movie is happening in and around some kind of church. You can probably find some holy water somewhere. Yep. So lock and load. Father Marin's going to get up to the church. Francis is dead. Joseph's there. Sarah Pazuzu's there. And we're going to get a very long sequence, in my opinion, too long. This is the other weakest part of the movie. This goes on for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically just like a a moving exorcism that goes through all the caves of this place. So do you know what it felt like? It felt It felt like the final boss battle in like a first-person shooter video game where like the battle has multiple phases and like the final monster has multiple forms and different attacks. So it's not just like a fight-on-fight, you know, Super Smash Brothers style. It's like, oh, they're throwing things at you from far away. Way, you have to dodge them yep. and reflect them oh well we're gonna break through the floor and now we're in the cavern below and you're in the water and so it, it felt like the final boss battle yep. of a video game of a resident evil video game so father Marin has found his faith faith again he's ready for for battle <laughs> hell of a time to find it there buddy hey, it's the perfect time to find it <laughs> better late than never yep so he he follows rule 17 never give up the next thing you try my work he keeps going through multiple phases of this exorcism my favorite part is where he puts holy water on his forehead you know blesses himself mm-hmm. and then at one point he grabs pazuzu puts his head to hers yeah and that was pretty cool it's something i missed the first time it yeah very cool. no i i totally would have missed that if you hadn't said it just now i was like how is this is this a harry potter rules like what's going on yeah yeah very much i uh, know he had it on his forehead I kind of wish he did it like football style, war paint style. Yeah, there you go. But uh, no, this is still pretty cool. And you know, it's just a lot of, you know, continuing to do the the the, the prayers. Yep. Follow the ritual. Yeah, follow the rules. I'll even I'll even go as far as sure. to say rule forty five. Follow the rules. Um. Yeah, that's very. You know, that is how you do an exorcism. You have to follow. You know these rites. Um. There's books written about this. You know, follow the books. Follow the rules. You know, Pazuzu fakes being dead at one point. And, but, you know, it was a, it was a clever ruse. <laughs> no one to play possum. Yeah, That's no, another rule. Yeah, no one to play possum, which is rule number 23. And it, he's, he even gets Joseph to help him with the, the, the rights. Eventually, you know, Pazuzu's charging down a big hallway at him and can't reach him because the faith is too strong. And so Father Marin completes the exorcism, kicks Pazuzu out. Meanwhile, the idol of Pazuzu is lost in the sands of time. Yes, it ba- Jumanji'd, yeah, essentially. And it's going to pop up somewhere else and they'll finally find it, which is funny. Yep. Dun, uh, that's dun, the first dun, movie. Dun, 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 dun. Unfortunately, Sarah dies from her injuries. Yeah, I think the implication is that when the demon was cast out, she hit her head on a rock. Yeah. And then when he lifted her head up, all the blood all came the blood. out. So, I mean, like, proper wound management, but there was nothing no, to be done. No. We don't have enough information for Sarah to say whether she broke any rules. Yeah. Because we came in to the movie, she was already possessed. Well, right. And, I mean, if that's what happened, she entered an old church. Yep. That's something that you and I, or anyone with rational thought, would do. Yep. You, you walk into an old church. That that should not result in possession. Nope. Generally speaking. Uh-huh. I would say even 100% of the time. Not Nine out of ten dentists, <laughs> nine out of ten priests agree that entering an old church will not result in demonic possession. But that tenth priest That's is tenth. Father frickin' Marin. <laughs> uh, so I got nothing for Sarah. I got nothing. No, me neither. So Father Marin and Joseph escape. Everyone else is dead. They're already half buried in the sand. So now we... We know what happened to the 50 people, or the people who disappeared 50 years ago. Yep. They're buried somewhere out there. Yes. Um, So Father Marin returns to Rome, where he meets up with that one guy, um, who I can't pronounce his name, uh, Similiar again, and he's like, hey, did you get the idol? Nope. But you got something else, didn't you? You got his faith back. Yes. Um, And now he goes by Father Marin, he puts on the hat, and he leaves, and that is the end of- Back in black plays, and cut the credits. (laughs) The Exorcist, the beginning. The beginning, as Jordan Ryan would say. Yeah. 
All right, we're done. Yeah, so this is normally when we would talk about new rules, and maybe there is one. Maybe. All right, what do you, what do you got? So what about not meddling in things that ought not to be meddled in? Like, don't meddle. That would come under uh, rule number 32, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Sure. Don't. I was just wondering if there's, like, you know, being more specific. Because there are plenty of times in in horror movies where it's like, you know, you don't have to get involved in that altercation. And this would be a very specific way to, you know, like, but this isn't quite being a good Samaritan, which is another derivative of that. But... Anyway. Yeah. So, you know, don't stick your nose where it doesn't belong Yeah. in the end. You know, if, if everyone had just, like, not gotten involved there, we all would have been fine. Yes. But, uh, so I don't I don't have any new rules for this movie. Okay. It seems, it seems fair enough. Everything that happened in this movie, it's almost hard to rationalize it. How can you rationalize the irrational? Exactly. Uh, so let's get into the awards. First, we have the Randy Meeks Merit Badge, which goes to the character who did the best job at following the rules. Um, this is, of course, based off Randy Meeks from Scream. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Oh, boy. This is tough. And we can't give it to Father Marin. Can't. He, there was too many times where he, like, denied he was in a horror movie where he should have known he was in one. And that's rule one. So we cannot give it to Father Marin. Can't give it to Sarah because she was possessed the whole time. Who else can we give it to? <laughs> so, well, well, who was the messenger? Chara, Chara, Chama? Chuma. Chuma? Chuma was pretty good. Chuma did very little wrong. And, I mean, you could call a rule break on uh, Good Samaritan. I, regardless, want to give an honorable mention to whoever gave the original Crusaders permission to basically build the church and bury the whole thing. Like, sure. I mean, not they're not even in the movie, so, like, I can't give it to them. Yeah, but if that's if you're on board with something as abstract as that, literally the person who did what we said in in all those podcasts about Halloween, just bury the problem <laughs> and make it somebody else's problem because <laughs> that's what they did. They're like, we 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 are not equipped to deal with this. Goodbye. So should we give it to the Catholic Church as a whole for covering this up as much as they could? Uh, specifically, the uh, would it be the ancient Catholic Church? Well, at that they point? did it in the, the fifty years ago too, and I wouldn't call that ancient. Fifty years before this movie, they covered all that up. Yeah, when yeah, all yeah, yeah. Went Missing there, and I'm you know they they I'm assuming they would have tried to cover it up again, probably, probably as um, they probably should. Which is fair. Like, what else do you do with literally Satan? Yeah, when you've got divine problems, it requires very drastic solutions, and. In this case, maybe Mother Nature is your best defense against these divine evils. You know, what really should happen is we need to tell the American government that there's oil out there. (laughs) (laughs) And then they'll uh, invade and take over Kenya and then realize, oh, there's actually stuff here. And then they'll build a big facility out there, block people from going off. So we need, uh, (laughs) I think Kenya needs a little bit of freedom. Oh boy! Sending the American army, and we'll we'll block all this off. We'll we'll escape from New York. It yeah. We'll build a big wall around this temple. Boom. Yes. Give give it like a a two hundred mile radius. Just nobody goes in there. New Bermuda Triangle, uh, Wakanda. This whatever you want to do. You know, if it takes vibranium shields, I don't know. We we need help from the Avengers. This yeah. is an Avengers level threat. Well, Avengers level threat. God, I would actually watch an Avengers meets the Exorcists <laughs> crossover event. That sounds awesome. I'm in for that. <laughs> I, I'm kind of thinking let's just give it to the organization as a whole of the Catholic Church. Things I didn't think I was going to say at the beginning of this podcast, but I got done with this movie and I'm like, I have no idea who did the gifts. Usually, I have some idea, yeah. but I have nothing. Everyone is pretty useless in this movie, like, and it's not probably their fault. Yeah, sometimes it's their fault, but I mean, these are rules that any rational person would have broken. You know, I, I'll give Father Francis an honorable mention for calling in all the British guys for backup. Sure, which I mean, only made it more difficult it when it when shit hit the fan. Yeah, but like he didn't know that. Yeah, but. You know, he, he did something. Something happened. So, you know, the Catholic Church has covered this thing up twice. Actually, probably a third time now. Yeah. Don't really know for sure. We'll just give it to the organization as a whole. We will give it to the Catholic Church organization. Specifically hey. at the end of the, the 1800s. You know, we're doing our best. If there's one thing the Catholic Church is good at, it's covering things up. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Good, huh? I came up with that like just now. I'm I'm gonna stay silent on this one. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna. It's a joke. 
It's a good joke. Great joke, even. <laughs> I don't even know if it's a joke. <laughs> I'm just scratching my head. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so, hey, so, so, hey, you know, say what you will about the Catholic Church, but they won a Randy Meeks merit badge. <laughs> we should send them a medal. <laughs> Pope Francis, you can here you go. The greatest <laughs> honor one can bestow upon. <laughs> by the power vested in me, granted by the internet and all of our followers. <laughs> I'm gonna keep most of this, and I think. Oh my goodness! So let's move on to the Night, uh, Night of Living Club Award, which goes to the character who did the worst job at following the rules. This is, of course, based off uh, Barbara from Night of Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Derek, who are you thinking here? This is another tough one. Right. Is it Father Marin? Like, in the end, when he finally accepts that he's in a horror movie, he does a great job. But he didn't need to be here. He could have left. And if you're going to stay, you got to accept some things. I don't want to give it to Father Marin. And my reason is that despite all of the rules that he was kind of breaking as a result of being a non-believer in a movie that requires you to be a believer to find a solution... None of his actions resulted in the deaths of anybody else. Sure. Because um, all of this stuff was going to happen with or without him. There yeah. was no real catalyst. At least nothing that I saw. So I just want to maybe pick the low-hanging fruit and give it to Jeffries for just in general being a horrible human being and drawing the ire to himself. Being a general menace in the area of this village. Uh, to the point where even, like, Satan is done with you. Like, I mean... <laughs> You know, like, he he somehow managed to be such a creep that he accidentally gave, like, a Catholic relic to Satan himself. Like, <laughs> how can you mess up worse than that? Like, that's a pretty powerful enemy to have. So I, I'm feeling Jeffries, even though maybe he didn't necessarily uh, cause any deaths other than his own, but... I mean, it doesn't yeah. cost anything to be nice. Yeah, and he could have left. Weird stuff was happening. For longer... You know, I, it's hard to say how much he he knew. You know, he wasn't possessed, unlike Sarah. Mm-hmm. So of all all the like all the non the people who didn't live here. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's so the villagers. This is their home. It makes sense why they stay. All right, so let's go to the people who are are visiting. Marin and Francis. They just arrive at the beginning. That leaves really. I think it's just Sarah and Jeffries who have been here. Sarah's possessed. So that leaves Jeffries. Why is he still here? Mm-hmm. If all this stuff is happening, all this ter- he's got all the boils on his face. Go home and get better, and then, you know, whatever. So he should have left the movie. He had the least, ex- like, everyone else has a better excuse for not leaving than him. Yeah, and the only other person is Colonel Mustard. Uh, Major Granville, yep. But again, it seemed like the paranormal activity was really kicking up sand at that point. Yep. Because, I mean, he was there for all of five minutes before possession or devil's touch made him shoot someone and then himself yeah so so i mean there is an argument that you know just walking out into a group of people and shooting someone that is maybe the biggest crime sure oh boy that's a good point so this is hard i you know jeffries has been doing the wrong thing for longer but the the big moment that we saw on screen is colonel mustard Let's give it to Jeffries. I'm yeah. a little more comfortable giving it to Jeffries because he's been there for so long. It, it feels right to me. You yeah. know, if you make the same mistake multiple times, it doesn't make it any yeah. better. You know, Father Marin, do better. I think he will. You know, we'll, we'll clearly see later on he's going to do better. What, what wasn't great, but when he did step up on the third act, he stepped up hard. Yes. So, yeah, let's give it to Jeffries. Jeffries is the night of living pleb, but he's not still living anymore. Very horrific death. Horrific. Even worse than getting eaten by pigs. <laughs> Even worse than getting eaten by pigs. Okay. Derek, you want to come back and finish off the Exorcist series with Dominion? You know, after you talked about the pre-production stuff, I don't feel like there's a single way that I could ignore this last one. I, I need to see this train wreck. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It really is. It's not a great movie. I think it's very boring, but it's just like, it, you know, as a companion piece, it's fascinating. Is it as bad as Exorcist 2? No. Good. No, then I'm. Then, things are. Then let's cross this one off the list. All right. So let's move on to the Wheel of Spooks. Here's what's on there today. We got the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, It miniseries part two, Prom Night, Tremors, Bride of Chucky, Leprechaun Origins, Dominion prequel to The Exorcist, and the new Chef's Choice spot. So we'll see if it lands on Chef's Choice. I can do whatever I want. I'm so glad that you have that on the wheel, Ryan. That's that's that spot is for you. Yes, it is. Uh, as your chef, the head chef of this podcast, I'm gonna cook up something good. Uh, Derek, go ahead and spin the wheel. Oh my 
my god, that's Leprechaun 7 Leprechaun Origins, which is not good. Uh, Derek, I feel like this might be your least favorite Leprechaun movie. You said this is the one that's like the horroriest horror one, Yeah, right? there's nothing comedic about it. It's just a horror movie. Uh, yeah, this this movie sucks. It's It's got some cool gore. Your favorite thing, I know. Uh, there's some cool gore. There's almost nothing else redeeming about this movie. It's mostly boring. So I don't think this one will be very fun. Derek, what are you doing next weekend? <laughs> I guess we're getting one step closer to completing the Leprechaun series. Yeah, yeah, because there's only one more after that. And... It's the best one. Sure. The last one, I think, is Leprechaun Returns is the best one, I think. Uh, so we have to get through one more of this bullshit. And it has been a while since we've done a Leprechaun movie. It has been a while. It's been a while since we did Exorcist. Um, so it, it's nice to to see some movement on these otherwise immovable uh, movable titles. And get, the, get some of this crap off the wheel. We're so close. We have one more Exorcist, and then after this, one more Leprechaun. You know, there's one more Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. And Nightmare on Elm Street has been on the wheel since the beginning. The only stuff that's on the wheel that was from the beginning is Nightmare on Elm Street and a Child's Play, which we've made no progress on. Okay, so Leprechaun Origins. Back-to-back episodes for Derek. Hey, it's, it's been, been a while. It's been a while. Cool, dude. Uh, well, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Do you want to give out any social media? Yeah, the only one that I'm giving out now is that if you have a Letterboxd account, I will be grading this movie on Letterboxd. My username on there is E-R-E-K-K, Eric. And that's just where I keep my collection of thoughts on different movies that I've watched. There's recently wrote about Annihilation, saw Dune recently, stuff like that. So I will be sure to write about this one as well. It's nice to fill out the lower end of my grading scale. Oh, you thought this one was okay. Yeah, it was okay. It's mm-hmm. going gonna, it's gonna to get maximum, maximum a, a three stars out of five. But I'm, I'm leaning more towards two and a half the more I think about it. I would go to four out of five, but that's just me. Because <laughs> this, was, this was movie was tailor-made for my life yes <laughs> all right you can follow us on twitter at how to horror that's how the number two horror uh, go ahead and give us any five-star reviews you feel like giving me i appreciate it derek thanks for doing this this is fun absolutely and then i know that ryan has mentioned this on a previous episode as well but if you haven't listened to the episode where we were guest stars on the bruise booze and reviews podcast that was a lot of fun we talk about the horror movie podcast we get a little bit tipsy on uh some halloween themed beers pumpkin, pumpkin beer yeah. pumpkin beer um, and then if you became a patron of them, you'd be able to listen to us on their last call where we drink some bourbon and Ryan has a really horrible time. The only thing I hate more than The Exorcist 2 is bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, check that out. That's at Brews, Booze, and Reviews. So please check that out. It was a great podcast, fun time, good guys. Some good beer, some terrible bourbon, but, you know, it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So just wanted to bring that up. I think this yep. is the first time that I've been back yep. since we, we guest started on that together. Yep. So It's their Halloween special. I think part or the, the third Halloween special episode yes. is, is us. So that was a really fun time. So thanks again to those guys. All right. Anything else, Derek? Nope, that's it. All right. This is the How to Survive a Horror Movie podcast. Stay safe out there. Uh, uh.